Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Matthew. You may be seated. We begin today with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light, and we pray, Lord, that as your church in this world, we would reflect that light in all of our relationships. We pray, Lord, that through us, others would come to know of your mercy and your strength and your love. Guide us this day, O Lord, to hear your word and faith, and we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we are sort of continuing this look at the early parts of the Sermon on the Mount here in church. And what we have been looking at here is perhaps one of Jesus's most popular and famous sermons. And this sermon is the very first one Matthew records for us in his gospel. Now, this particular sermon that Jesus preaches is Jesus describing for us what the life of a disciple is to look like. And we said last week that Jesus, who has graciously called us to be his disciples, calls us to be, as he says, a light in the world. You are, Jesus says, the light of the world. And what we said last week was that this is a light that is a reflected light. Much like the moon on a dark night, the moon reflects the light of the sun into the darkness, so the church is to reflect the light of Christ in this dark in dreary world disciples live in the light of christ and reflect that light all around them and this light of christ of course is is a metaphor for his love what a marvelous love it is what a marvelous light it is that we as his called people are to reflect in this world just think about this this light this love of jesus christ and how it shines on you especially on people who are sitting right in the light of the sun right now. That's always like not the best place to sit on Sunday mornings, but you're a good metaphor for the rest of us. You're shining your light on me. This is very nice. Now, think of this love of Jesus Christ. The Bible describes Christ's love for you in this way. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that for a moment. This is the love of Christ. While we were yet sinners, what is a sinner? A sinner who is one by nature and choice, who rebels against God, who lives their life sinfully in an affront to God, who turns their back on God and in fear and anger towards God, runs away from God. A sinner is one who allows sin to remove them from the presence of God. So that, as Jim pointed out very nicely here in our children's message today, we are those who have sinned and we are those who have chosen death. Not life, love, and light, but death. But God is not content with this. So the Father sends His Son into the world, and Jesus Christ pursues us. He runs us down. He finds us hiding in our sin, in our shame, in all that we have done against Him. And Jesus confronts us with this word, I forgive you. I am not going to allow your sinfulness to define our relationship. Instead, Jesus says, I'm pursuing you, I'm finding you, I'm taking all of your sin against me, I'm taking all of your rebellion against me, and I'm absorbing the blow. I'm taking that sin upon my back, and I'm carrying it to the cross, says Jesus, where I will bleed and die for it, and I will remove it from the equation. So now that, and so now that all that defines our relationship is my love for you. 
Jesus said. My forgiveness for you. You are forgiven. You are beloved. You are washed clean of your sin in the blood of Jesus Christ. So now, says St. Paul, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is yours in Jesus Christ. And so you now live in the light of this love. Jesus has reunited you to himself. He has reconciled you to the Father, and he has called you to be with him, living in the light, following him as his disciples. So here's the big idea. Jesus sees the things that separate us from him, and he takes them away. He reunites us to himself. He reunites us to the Father by his grace. Sin brings separation, and this is the work of the devil. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, the devil comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, to take all that is beautiful and good and lovely in this world and corrupt it and ruin it, to take all that should be united in this world and to divorce it from each other. Jesus says, that doesn't come from me. It comes from Satan. I've come that you might be one with me, Jesus says. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. This is then the light of Christ. The mercy and grace which he showers upon us, that he shines in our lives. And this is the love, this gracious, reconciling, merciful love that is to reflect off of us into the lives of people around us and is to reflect into all of our relationships. As those who have received mercy from Jesus Christ, we are to reflect that mercy now in all of our relationships. Our activities we do in this world, the good works that we perform, they are to be reflecting the light of Jesus' love. In our relationships where there is strain and difficulty, perhaps where there is anger or frustration, we are to reflect the light of Christ's love by pursuing reconciliation, repenting of our sins and forgiving those who have sinned against us. We live our lives as disciples of Christ, working to rebuild what sin has torn down, working to reconcile that which sin has ruined. So I think that's where we want to start today, and this is what Jesus is getting at here as he speaks to us about how we are to carry out our lives as his disciples in this world. And he has this truly remarkable passage for us today where he shows us how we are to live this way according to the laws and the rules that God has laid out for us. And it's a pretty fascinating passage where Jesus shows us how his mercy is to make us stand out in this world. What does it look like for a disciple of one whose existence and activity are defined by grace to live in a world that is defined by anything but grace? How are we to shine as light in the darkness? What is the shape of our lives in this dark and dreary world? And that is a point we don't want to move too quickly past, that we do not live in a light-filled, gracious world. But more and more, our world is becoming utterly graceless. I've said this before, but I think it, it bears repeating. We hear this all the time, that we're living in what is called a morally relativistic society. That is, we are told that we live in a world now where everybody does what is right in their own eyes. I'll do what's right for me, you do what's right for you, and everybody will be fine. We just won't get in each other's way. I'll do me, you do you, it's all good, right? This is what we're constantly told. And so everybody is just kind of living to their own set of rules. But we're now getting to the point in society where this, morally re this moral relativism is clearly showing itself to be uh, something that can't sustain life. 
people are beginning to realize you can't have a morally relativistic society. But instead of going back to the old rules, to the old morals, to the laws that God has laid out for us, people have decided to reject those entirely and create a new sort of set of laws. Not a relativistic world anymore, uh, but a world of new laws, of new rules, of a new morality. And it's just as legalistic and perhaps more legalistic and sort of bitter and vitriolic than the old law was. I mean, we live now not in a morally relativistic society, but one where we are very legalistic towards each other, as I just said. If you think I'm wrong, spend three minutes on social media or watch your favorite news station for 10 minutes, and you will realize that we are living in the least relativistic, most dogmatically angry place in the world. You either agree with me on everything and my view on everything, or you are evil. I mean, just think for a second about how we're doing history these days. We can no longer look back on history and see good things that people have done and celebrate them. What we have to do is dig into the deep, dirty parts of those people's lives only to realize uh, that everybody who's ever done anything good in this world is sinful and evil and wrong. And this somehow surprises us. But the problem is now what we do is we look at this and we say, we can't listen to anything they say. We can't celebrate anything they've done because of their sin. They are now out because they don't live up to our morally, culturally perfect standards. Our morally relativistic culture is utterly legalistic with its own set of righteous laws that either let you in or kick you out. So long as you say the right thing, do the right thing, and believe the right thing. Otherwise, you're rejected. And yeah, this is happening on every side of the aisle. Everyone's seeking to have their own power, to be righteous in their own eyes and to remove anybody from their lives who gets in the way, to separate themselves from anybody else who gets in the way. And it is into this morass of darkness that God has sent us to reflect his light. His light, where we realize we are not to pursue power and self-righteousness, for we already know that all power, glory, honor, and might belong to Jesus Christ, and that he alone is righteous. And that his power and might and his righteousness is not self-serving, but self-sacrificial. And his is not a power-hungry attitude, but one that seeks to love and serve the neighbor. So that in the Sermon on the Mount today, when Jesus is teaching us how we are to relate to the people around us, especially in sensitive and difficult situations, he's showing us to, that we are to act in a way that is completely different from what we see taking place in our world right now. That our relationships are to be defined by the pursuit of, of, of healing and reconciliation. Not power and self-service. Listen to what he says. You have heard that, what is, that it was said of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fire of hell. Unless, of course, you do it online. Then it's cool, right? Unless it's your favorite news pundit, then it's all right. Yeah? No. Jesus says of marriage, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And by the way, that goes the other way too. As you look at a man with uh, lust in your heart, it's the same thing. It's adultery. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said whoever divorces his wife, uh, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That is, uh, let him get off scot-free and, and make her feel like she's going to be okay. 
But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, uh, makes her uh, to be a part of this adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. In other words, uh, if you sort of have done this thing where you you think, I'm going to get a divorce and there's not going to be any problem with it, you're kidding yourself. Everybody is negatively hurt and impacted by the divorce. Now notice what's going on in all of these cases. What is absent? In cases of hatred and bitter words of lustful pursuits and divorce, what is absent from all of these? Love, sacrifice, the pursuit of reconciliation. There is no repentance and there is no forgiveness. The very things that flow from the veins of Jesus Christ on the cross are not found in the attitudes of those who seek to separate themselves from everybody they disagree with or are angry with. That mercy is not found in those relationships. This does not come from Christ. See, Jesus shows us that when there is sin in our relationships, and here's the thing, I don't want to surprise you with this, but this will happen. There's going to be sin in your relationships. I know, you weren't ready for that. You thought everything was going to be perfect in life, but the reality is there's going to be sin in your relationships. So that when it's your fault, and this is something else you should think about, sometimes it's your fault. And when it's your fault, what you do is you seek to repent. You get over your pride and you own it, and you seek to reconcile with the person you have hurt. And when it's their fault, because sometimes people are going to sin against you, when it's their fault, you lead with forgiveness. You come with a heart and attitude of mercy, ready and willing to forgive, not lording it over them until they prove themselves to you. But with a heart of mercy and grace that you receive from Jesus Christ. Now think about this. Just imagine how we Christians, how the church would shine like a light in this dark world if we reflected this love of Christ. If in our, say, political involvement, in our political conversations, we sought more productive engagement for the sake of our neighbors, even those neighbors who oppose our views, we sought to love them and serve them and listen to them and work alongside of them, as opposed to sort of vitriolic slander towards anybody on the opposing side of the aisle. What if in our marriages, when we were met with trial, hurt, and difficulty, which will come. We worked all that much harder to restore love rather than looking for the first legalistic reason we can leave the situation behind. What if we actually started to realize that the shows we're watching on television and the the, the sites we're visiting on the internet and these things we are participating in are actually beginning to form and shape our minds. As one author says, that these are our, our daily liturgies that are teaching us to speak and think and act about other people in ways that are not Christ-like. We view them as opponents or commodities or something to lustfully be devoured. This is what's shaping the way we think. What if instead of doing that, we sat down and we listened again to the words of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, who does not see anybody as a commodity to be devoured or an opponent to be defeated, but as a person for whom he has died, a beloved creature made in the image of God. What if we fought for our neighbors, loved our enemies, and led with forgiveness and admitted our own sins? 
I think we would stand out. I think we would bring a little bit of light into this dark world. After all, this is the sort of thing that comes to us from the light of Jesus Christ. This is the sort of light you dwell in even now. So today, step into the light and hear the good news that while we were yet sinners, opponents of God, running away from him, Christ died for us. While you sought separation, Christ pursued you. While you harbored bitterness, hatred, and spoke words of anger, Christ poured out his heart of love on the cross and preached this promise into your ears. You are forgiven. That is who you are. That is the light you dwell in. And it is my prayer that as we leave this church today, we would do so reflecting that light in all of our relationships and to the whole world around us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess to you today that we have not lived in the light of your love. But Lord, we have dwelt in the darkness far too often in our hearts, in our attitudes, and in our words. Lord, have mercy on us and forgive us for this worldly attitude. Lord, we thank you that once again you have showered your light upon us. You have once again granted to us your forgiveness. And now we pray that this light would reflect in our lives so that others would be loved by us and most importantly know your love. Lord, we pray that they would see our good deeds and praise your name. Amen. Having heard the word of our Lord, I invite you to please rise.